Welcome to The Coat Hanger on 2SER 107.3. The Coat Hanger is a show and podcast where we tackle women's footy with a Sydney view. I'm your host, Fiona Lamb. I'm Coach Kiwi. I'm Emma Phillips. And I'm Nat Morgan. And this is our last show for 2020. And for our very last player interview series, we are going to be speaking to Tate Mackerel. And you can pick that up in the podcast section of this show. It used to be called The Fifth Quarter. It's now it's Tate's Quarter. It's Tate's Quarter. I like that. She's worth it. <laughs> She's pretty solid. I wouldn't want to play against her. Thank goodness I've retired. <laughs> So we're going to talk about awards, and so we'll start with talking about the W Awards, which were held last Tuesday, and if you were good children, then you listened to us on 2SER, and then you switched over at 7.30 just in time to hear that the rising star for 2020 was Izzy Huntington, who happens to be 21 years of age, and the best and fairest was won by Maddie Presparkis, who happens to be 19 years of age. And what's also kind of well interesting is that Maddie Presparkis was the rising star from last year, so she presented the award to Izzy Huntington. So she already had the cameras there at her place. Maybe that's what threw her a little bit. Um, so maybe she didn't quite realise that she was going to win that award. Now, I think we were all talking about um, the fact that we, we weren't that surprised that Maddie won or that Izzy won, but we had some other comments Ladies, do you care to weigh in? Well, I mean, it's probably stating the obvious. I'm sure listeners know this already, but Jasmine Garner, do we need to continue this conversation? Equal 17th she finished in the voting, having swept every other award available to her and being highly favoured, in fact, to take out the best and fairest. Now, this is absolutely not taking anything away from Maddie Presparkis, who was a very, very deserving winner, but to not even reach the top 15, there is something really on the nose about that, is there not? Well, so what were the other war awards that she that she won? So she won her club best and fairest, obviously. She won the AFLCA, so that's the Coaches Association Champion Player of the Year, and she won the AFL Players Association MVP. She was also an All Australian. And quite a clear winner in a couple of those categories as well. Uh, and no one uh, up against some top-notch competition. And she was the one out of the Lamberts and the Paxmans and, uh, oh, there was someone else. There was another, sort of there were four in the top four, wasn't there? But Maddie won well and truly that that other award, but Jazzy not cited by the umpires. They couldn't see her, despite the fact she's mainly midfield this year. Uh, they couldn't see her. She needed a Wo-Woden haircut, didn't she? The, she needed the Wo-Woden haircut. <laughs> needed the Wo-Woden she needed she, she got four, white band four or, votes in the end, yeah, four points. Four votes. She, got, she polled three in one and one in another. Um, and to contrast that, the AFLCA, so the Coaches Association Award that she won, they gave her a perfect 10 in four games, just to put that into context. So there were a couple of games particularly where she had, you know, so in against Geelong, she had 18 disposals and kicked three goals, no votes. Against the Giants, 20 disposals and two goals, no votes. Now, I've, I've got a, a quote here from uh, a fantastic piece that was written about this in the Herald Sun by a woman called Kate Salem, and I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. And she simply said, it's not to say Ghana should have been crowned the league's best and fairest in a landslide. Make no mistake, Chris Parkas deserved the award. But the fact she didn't even get close means something has gone horribly wrong. 
And that phrase horribly wrong. How else can we look at this? The whole time I've been viewing footy, I can't think of another time there's been such a, a kind of <laughs> awards crime against a player. Was one of the issues that uh, the first three seasons we had our own umpires in, you know, quotation marks. And then this season it was like we need the best, we need the big names, we need the Ray Chamberlains and and those those umpires have come in perhaps not knowing the players and not knowing and they just I don't know I was going to say judged on the day but maybe they didn't I don't know what I don't know what they were looking for. Should they need to know the players? Are you suggesting that they got swept up in some sort of media hype around those big names and that's where the vote votes went? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's exactly right that they sort of had some names and some vision of faces and mm. Jazz wouldn't have been one of those. And that so they they saw what they saw through uh, preconceived, well, what they'd seen before perhaps of the AFLW competition. Um, yeah. Could there also like, be a case... Otherwise. Could there also be a case of... Um, Emma Carney and, and Jenna Bruton from the same team polled a fair bit higher, so they're collecting the points that from those perhaps those matches. Because also to put into perspective this year, we only had six games and four points is around about probably four games below what um, Maddie Prasparkas um, scored in. So... So probably, and you think two of those games she got no points and she should definitely have got the points. Um, so perhaps is it is that a case of playing in a team with some other really good players as well that pick up those points? I think that's probably a fair point, Kiwi. I just wonder whether that accounts for finishing 17th, though. Yeah, see, now I think we're looking too much at the placing because in that 17th, I think there was seven players, seventh equal and four players, 11th equal kind of thing. So perhaps not look at the positioning of 17th. <laughs> Maybe just look at it as, you know, why did she not score points in those two games when mm -hmm. if she was clearly the best in that? Now, my theory is as a coach is when, when I'm coaching, I'm looking at my team, and, and the thing I hate um, in any tournaments or competitions is when they come at us and then say, can you vote for the opposition players? And so then you've got to instantly start to think, oh, who, who, you know, was annoying? Who do we have to tag <laughs> up? Who, because you're not watching the other team. You're actually watching your own players. And I think for the umpires to be doing their job, they're not watching what each team does. They're not knowing what the player's job is on the field. They've then got to come off the field and at the end of the game go, oh, shit, who was around me? Usually who was around me the most, which tends to be always midfielders scoring these points. And and this is something because probably I've only come to AFL 20 years ago, is I don't understand why the biggest award in AFL relies on these. And I understand they're not connected to a club, but the umpires who don't understand the tra training that the players go through, the roles the players go through, but they're on the field not looking at what the player's job is. Whereas the AFL um, Players Association Award is voted on the their peers, the coaches' award is voted by the coaches. To me, that has a lot more credit if you're a player and win those awards. But that's kind of, you know, maybe so it's time to overhaul the where, where the prestige is held. Mm. Are you saying, Kiwi, that the umpires are actually lacking in credibility, therefore, and they shouldn't be voting 
on players. No, 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 no. I'm no, I'm saying. Well, I'm saying there's been a few, been a few murmurings like that for sure. Well, I'm just saying that their role is focusing on um, umpiring the game. So absolutely watching. Yeah. So not the performance of the players, Mm. and they should not care at all who has the most impact in a game, which is then what they're being asked to vote on. They've just got to go by the rules, who's abiding by the rules, if there's a penalty, blow the whistle, you know, that kind of thing. But at the end of the game, we're asking for them to then say which players performed the best. And that's not what they've just spent two hours running around doing. I just think it's unfair on them, unfair on the players, unfair on the competition, and maybe it's time after 150 years of AFL Let's change up who's voting. Just have a panel sitting on the sideline. I just think you're right that the new introduction of the more recent awards, the All-Australian and the Coaches Awards, those sort of things, it used to just be the Brownlow and now there's all these other awards that have happened in the men's competition and I think as a result everyone loves being voted by their peers because they're the ones, your teammates at club level and then your your opponents, they're the ones you want to impress really and beat and be recognised by. I'm not sure anyone really cares about what the umpires think. And so if they did drop off Kiwi, like you said, and that someone else was watching and selecting, but then, of course, we'll whinge about that result too. You know what I mean? We'll never be happy, (laughs) I don't think. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. Mm. Yeah. A question mark remains, at least. (laughs) All right, then, straight into the club awards, where that really counts. Who won North Melbourne's? Well, (laughs) who do you think? (laughs) So Jasmine Garner, of course, took out North Melbourne's best and fairest, but only by one vote, in fact, over Emma Carney, who also did did have an outstanding season, as you mentioned before, Kiwi. And finishing in third place for North was Ash Riddell, who really had such a stellar season, was always building towards something like that. But she uh, she showed some, you know, some, some just went from strength to strength this year. Um, fourth in their best and fairest was Jenna Bruton. And then fifth, which is a really nice one, was um, Eileen Gilroy, so the Irish player, uh, managed to get into a top five in a club best and fairest, which I think is uh, right. pretty good going. The most surprising for me, I think, is that most of them are brunettes, aren't they? And aren't you supposed to be a blonde (laughs) midfielder to win the best and fairest? I'm not at your club. That's the umpire's one. Oh, right. Yes, 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 of course. (laughs) I just said that earlier. I was going to say you just need a long ponytail, but that would be 99.9% of uh, players, wouldn't it be? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the little top knot still persists, Nat. (laughs) Yeah, do you know what? I can't think of anything worse than being an elite athlete and having long friggin' hair. It gets hot, it gets sweaty, you've got to tie it up, it gets in your hair, you've got to tighten the knot, you have to have a million showers and shampoo and dry Go the short hair. What's wrong? Emma Grant's about the only one out there, isn't she? Anyway, Nat, let's talk about Carlton. Yeah, look, um, well, of course, Maddie won it. That'd be weird if she didn't because she was uh, yeah, a standout at club level and obviously at the whole competition level. Uh, she had a pretty clear win over um, Chloe Dalton, who came in second, Georgia G, Grace Egan and Lucy McAvoy. So all, look, all young guns, really. Uh, amazing top five. So uh, good Good, well done to all of them. Um, they, yeah, Christy I, McAvoy's first season, isn't it, too? Yeah, exactly yep. right. So, yeah, uh, yeah she, had, she had top top efforts by all of them. So, uh, I think Carlton will be pretty keen to hang on hang on to that that bunch too. You know, for next season, 
Um, the whole draft thing will be up in the air again as to when that actually happens. But um, no, Carlton will be, they're on a roll at the end of the year. They'll be keen to hang on to all the, those good name players as well. So, uh, yeah, no um, All-Australian Taylor Harris, not in the top five. Interesting. And then what about Geelong, Nat? Yep, um, Olivia Purcell won that one um, with 134 vo votes and only six votes ahead of um, Maddie McMahon. Nina Morrison came in third, which is um, pretty impressive for her first year back after that terrible knee injury from the year before. Um, Phoebe McWilliams, ex-Giants, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, she came in fourth. And um, surprisingly to me, I'm not sure what you will think, Asta O'Connor coming in fifth and really not that far off third place. Um, that blew me away that that was her position and her standing at club. So good uh, on it. Yeah, it was. I was surprised to see her name amongst that list. Yeah. You're listening to the Coat Hanger Football Radio on 2SER 107.3, where we tackle women's footy with the Sydney View. And we're talking about the AFLW Club Awards. And moving on to Melbourne, the D's. Kiwi, tell us uh, a little bit about that. Yeah, well, uh, Melbourne with the, the star midfield that they have, um, it was probably a name that came out on top that not many people talk about in Shelley Scott. Um, took out their um, club best and fairest on 46 votes ahead of Karen Paxman, who got 44, who is the All-Australian captain. So probably most people picked Paxi to win that one. Third place was Kate Hoare, who took out the AFLW Goal of the Year. Um, and that's and just three votes in, in all of that. Yeah, so. she yeah she was on 43. Yeah. And then on 39 was Daisy Pierce, who had a pretty solid return off halfback, and then Tyler, Bank, Tyler Hanks and... Uh, Libby Birch, who had a pretty solid year, but she um, only got 35 points. So probably shows how um, important their midfield is for them too. And then, Em, let's talk about Western Bulldogs. Yes, the Doggies. Um, so the Doggies had young Isabel Huntington take out their award with 44 votes. So, you know, really capping off what was just an outstanding year for young Izzy. Um, again, another young gun to come forward and win her club's best and fairest. Now, she, as we know, played that sort of intercept defender role across the half-back line for the Bulldogs this year um, and has, is beginning to emerge in, into a wonderful leader for them as well. So um, she's had quite the season. Just behind her, 41, was Ali Blackburn, which probably comes as no surprise to you guys or the listeners either. And again, you know, Ali will have the kind of season that gets her in amongst those votes, winning best and fairest, left, right and centre for the rest of her career, I think. Um, such a wonderful midfielder she is. Kirsten McLeod on 30 is a young, dangerous, small forward. 30 votes was a little bit of a gap between the top two. Um, and then following Kirsten McLeod was Ashling McCarthy, so another Irish player is featured in the top five for their club. She finished with 27 votes. And to round out their top five, Elizabeth Georgia Stathis on 24. So she's shaping up as a real one of those uh, high possession mids too that will, you know, push her way into what's already a quality midfield. So interesting lineup for the doggies. You right. know, if we if we look across even those clubs so far, and probably apart from Melbourne, in those top five, there's a whole lot of really young kids. Really, so yeah. that's yeah. a lot of talent that's going to be around for you know. Let's hope you know next ten, twelve years. The future is bright. But it says a lot, doesn't it, for um you know those those programs that have been put in place for young women that weren't there ten years ago or fifteen years ago. 
that there were lots of 14-year-olds were able to join and really into elite programs at that young age. And it's such a difference, I think, between the 21-year-olds in the competition and the 31-year-olds or the 33-year-olds in the competition. You can really see that now. And that's evidenced, of course, by the fact that they're sweeping these awards too. And all thanks to, isn't it all thanks to Penny Coolerid, mm-hmm. sorry, wasn't she the one who sort of forced the girls to be able to play for longer and then they introduced a women's a school girls comp and then next, you know, it was just the progression started a long time ago. It wasn't just three years ago, four years ago when the AFLW started. There was a lot of stepping stones to get there and this Absolutely. is what happens. They're bloody yeah. brilliant by the time they yeah. get to play on TV. Um, well, how far was, back you go, because you, you go back to that game, it was in the 40s, of course, it was played on Princess true. Park. Well, then, yeah. you know, the VFL, the, the VFLW you had a good game, started you, in. Emma? Thanks, mate. Good on you. Uh, I think um, <laughs> during, during wartime. 1918, I, that 1918 I think, is the first <laughs> women's match that they know of. Because that yeah. book was 100 years of women's football. Right. But yeah, Penny Keller Reed is one of the ones that took it to court in Victoria. And um, and we had some here with um, Madison Giffen and Jessie Mulholland who also did a protest down in the Illawarra and created the... So from that became the Youth Girls of Illawarra, which became part of the Sydney competition. And so now we got Youth Girls in New South Wales. So before we move on from the Club Awards, um, Nat, Collingwood hasn't go? actually done their Club Awards yet, but they do have an announcement that you'd like I- to mention they do indeed you're right they haven't done their uh, best and fairest yet but um one of the um awards that was handed out was um to emma grant who the recently retired emma who just couldn't get over a concussion injury that she had but she's going to be staying in the system because she's picked up the <clears throat> wait for it the afl coaches association and the lucky eggs coaching pathway scholarship award which uh, means that she i think alicia eva has won that, that previously it means that she will stay in the system uh based at collingwood i believe but uh she will be uh helped out in all facets of coaching and will um nathan buckley will take her under a wing at certain times as well so it's fantastic that um she's got a good head not so much for the footy field, but good head for football. <laughs> and um, and then Emma will get to, uh, yeah, stay in the system and be amongst the girls and still be an asset. Um, it sounds fantastic. It's just a real mouthful of an award, isn't it? <laughs> and from what I gather, she's a very well-regarded uh, team player and and everyone's really thrilled for her. Yeah, I, look, I spent some time with her last year when she was injured and just going through some coaching, getting her running some drills and things. And um, she is a fantastically smart footballer. And um, I'm with no doubt she'll take that over into her coaching career and um, she'll be outstanding and great for the young kids. And the scholarship is huge. Um, with Alicia Eva, her mentor is John Worsfold from um, Essendon. And she's gone over and spent time with the NFL teams in America and sat in in some of their... Um, talent programs and stuff so it's a huge um, scholarship this huge mentorship that mm. they and education that they get um, thanks to lucky eggs so eat eggs kids <laughs> so lucky chicken eggs get lucky right. chicken eggs eat the chicken eggs eat the chicken eggs you're listening to the Coat Hanger Football Radio on to SER 107.3 where we tackle women's footy with a Sydney view well we have come to the awards that everyone has been waiting for. Um, da, da, do we have da, da, da. a drum roll? We have five categories. 
The first category is the best promo queen who rules the social media waves. The finalists are... Especially important isolation. Darcy Vessio from the Carlton Blues, Sue Alberti, the queen of us all, from the throne, (laughs) and the Collingwood AFLW team. Kiwi, would you like to tell us the winner, please? Darcy finished on six. Where are the Darcy fans? But anyway, Sue Alberti on 13 votes. She is a hoot. But taking out the award, Collingwood AFLW. So if you haven't seen them, tune in. They are hilarious. They are our promo queens on 16. There you go, Collingwood. Mm-hmm. Especially makeup tips. Oh, yeah. yeah that, now, her last one right. was um, special. Right, is her nickname? And she is a special case, and she'll give you some special tips on how to apply makeup. And so she did something last year, and then this year the AFLW actually asked her to, to, to do an official <laughs> makeup tips video. Strictly for isolation. <laughs> Very funny. All right, the next category is Achieving Great Heights, the players that fly. Our finalists are Lauren Bella from the Gold Coast Suns, Beck Privatelli from the GWS Giants, and Taylor Harris from the Carlton Blues. Coach Kiwi, who's our winner? Wow, it was a tough one between Lauren and Beck. Lauren on two, Beck on seven, but Taylor Harris... Apparently, you can only stop her in the air, but she's taken out our high flyer, 21 votes. Oh, fantastic. Woohoo! Category three, the best from our patch, those that played in New South Wales or ACT prior to being drafted. Our finalists are Elise Parker from the Thurguna Bulldogs, Elise O'Day from the Belconnen Magpies, and Maddie Collier from the from Kiama Power, who was with GWS Giants until this year and went to West Coast Eagles. Coach Kiwi, tell us what's what. Well, Elise O'Day actually is at Demons, got three votes, but Bell Conan probably lost the internet, so they couldn't vote down that way. Maddie Collier all the way over in WA on eight, and Elise Parker, 15, is our Ooh. best veggie from our patch. <laughs> She'll love it. All right. The next category is the most memorable moments. The most memorable moments. Some of these we like and some of them cut a little close to the bone. Our finalists are Lily Mithin, that goal and celebration that crushed the Giants' hopes in the finals. The main bar at the Giants' home game at Blacktown and that Stacey Livingston interview after the Carlton match where she had a few disparaging remarks to say about Taylor Harris. Let's hear from Coach Kiwi. Well, in third spot, it's probably no surprise. It was the main bar because most times when you're at the bar, you don't remember. So you probably forgot to vote. But they're on two points. The stack interview went around for seven weeks, but she got seven votes. And the crusher of all Giants fans, Lily Mithin, took it out on 18. Ouch. (laughs) and finally category five for the coat hanger football radio show aflw awards the seed that flourished the best first year player our finalists are caitlin greiser st kilda saints lucy mcavoy carlton blues and roxy rue from the Fremantle dockers coach kiwi Ooh, this is a tough one. Uh, Lucy McAvoy, as we previously mentioned, top five for Carlton. She on nine. But 
real close. This is the closest of all the awards. The Frio people came in late this afternoon but only managed 14 votes. And Caitlin Greiser, the big goal kicker of the year. She the G-Train. G-Train took it out with 15. Fantastic. She is the big seed. Congratulations to all of our winners. Well done. Well done. What I want to know is if have we organised for them to actually receive awards? Are we sending out a coat hanger to each of them? Or oh, good call. What what have we got? So they will Herbie. they will receive a, a golden coat hanger, something like that. Perhaps even a nice little wire coat hanger as well. <laughs> I mean, it's it'll be maybe the award hanging from a. Coat I don't hanger. know. This has been the Coat Hanger Football Radio Show, and it's been a pleasure again to bring this season to our listeners. I would like to thank my co-hosts. M, Nat, Kiwi, and, and Tracy Kick, who's on leave from afar. Um, and we have a few thanks to, to make to, to SER. They've been very kind hosts to us again. Anthony Dockerell, the program manager, and Michael Jones, who has been a great assistant to us um, doing our panelling and ensuring that our recorded podcasts get uh, get played on the radio during our lockdown um, season and our player interview series and making sure that those podcasts are available for you. Uh, it's been great, ladies. I want to say thank you very much. It's been an interesting thank year. You, guys. you want to yeah, say you thank can. you very much, but you can't? Is that, that was your point? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> you were talking about some season highlights earlier, Kiwi. Um, yeah, just, well, six games, six rounds, sorry, not six games, six rounds. It's, um, it was like an, a quick over and under season really, wasn't it? But, um, that's the way it is. It's weird not having a grand finalist, but it's good that they finished off with at least the, um, the player awards. There's a little bit of closure in that regard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for us, it's been strange not being in the studio and doing it remotely, but, um, I guess the upside is we've had more time with players who've been able to pop in at night and have a chat with us. Yeah, that's been great. I agree. It's been lovely meeting the players. You um, you have a softer spot for them, and I don't think I'll be as critical now that I've met them all. Uh, oh, could it be, listeners, that we're softening that hard heart? <laughs> Maybe. Watch out all the chat lights. Nat has broken you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it has. Look, it makes you realise that they're human beings and they're all just trying the bloody best. So uh, we need to just back away. Maybe isolation's given me a kinder heart and a more generous spirit. But next year could be a whole different matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long pre-season after all. That's it. That's it indeed. It's been good. Shame you can't all go out for a drink to celebrate the end of the season and the end of the pod and everything. So we'll, we'll hang on to that till we're allowed to. Exactly. All right. Thank you very much. So that's the show. Please remember to pick up the podcast and wash, listen your, hands. To, wash your hands and listen to that interview with Tate Mackerel. And we will come at you again next year. Till then, cheerio. Welcome to the podcast section of the Code Hanger Football Radio Show and our player interview series. Well, she's one of our South Australian imports and she was selected at number nine in the 2017 Rookie Draft. She played a winter in the VFLW with Essendon in 2018 before returning to the Giants' colours, making her debut in round three of 
2019 against Carlton. It's a long way from Port Broughton to Western Sydney. Welcome to the show, Tate Mackerel. Hello, thank you for having me. Ooh. Ooh. Tate. <laughs> so Tate, you returned with a vigour this season, absolutely carving it up in the practice matches. What did you do over the break? I um I broke my ankle. It's kind wow. of probably kind of helped in a in a way. I um had to go through some pretty intense rehab, um, which definitely set me up quite well for pre season. So whilst it was seemed a bit of a a not ideal situation heading in, it was um a pretty good preparation heading into pre season and then the cracky games. Yeah, right. So a little bit of a um Cora Staunton approach to <laughs> to the I wouldn't go as I wouldn't go as far <laughs> as saying Cora Staunton, but <laughs> <laughs> Go, Nan. Um, Tate, I came out and watched that second practice match uh, against Brisbane and it was a stinking hot day and you were one of the standouts, I thought. You and the pro Jess Allen played really well, really stood out. You wanted the ball, you you ran all four quarters. So if you did that coming off a, a busted ankle, like kudos to you. So what happened then? How did you not get picked in round one? What what was the story with Alan and the selection committee? Why were they telling you you weren't getting picked? Because I thought you looked fitter than you had been and you were looking really good out there. What happened? Um, it's pretty hard given the elite midfield that we do have to try and bust through and find a spot. Um, and all through pre-season and obviously in the Packy games, I was playing predominantly as a bit of a midfielder, um, played a bit up forward. Um, but I think it was just one of those situations where the cards didn't necessarily you know, favour me, uh, which was disappointing personally, but um, I think it just probably better prepared me for when I did get my opportunity. And, um, you know, it was unfortunate that we had a couple of injuries, but for me, I just waited for an opportunity, got it and took it and, you know, managed to get a couple of games under my belt. But it's, yeah, given the length of the season, it is pretty frustrating not getting picked for the first couple of games, but... I mean, you just got to look at our list, and we've got so much depth. It's um, you no one's guaranteed a spot, and everyone's fighting every time we step out onto the training track. So, yeah. Was Alan giving you encouragement along the way, like saying, you know, keep at it, we need you, and we want you, and you've got to be ready when that chance comes? Definitely, he pretty well said those exact words, and he the main message that I got out of all our meetings was, you know, just to keep working hard and. The harder I work, the better prepared I'll be for when an opportunity does arise. And, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of what happened. So, yeah, he was a massive support and, um, yeah, he just wanted the best. Tate, I'm curious, the Giants do have that elite midfield, of course. Are you aiming for a spot in there at some point, a sort of regular spot in that midfield, or do you set your sights as more of a forward? And what's the conversation about that with the coaching staff? Uh, I definitely would rather be in the midfield. Um, Believe it or not, I hate kicking goals. I'd rather give it off to everyone else and they can um, have all the glory. But, yeah, ultimately um, I'd like to, you know, work hard and um, maintain a spot in that midfield. And, you know, it's not about starting. It's just about holding a spot in there. So I guess over the off-season, a fair bit of work to go in and depending on what things look like next year personally and collectively as a league, um, the main goal, I think, for my career would be to, to play um, most of my minutes in the midfield. 
do you have a particular role in that midfield? Like are you sort of, you know, you're the blocking option or are you the, the in and under? It depends who's with you perhaps in the midfield? Um, yeah, it, the, the roles kind of shift. I think we're pretty lucky that we're quite a versatile midfield um, and everyone can kind of play inside and outside. Um, personally, I like to think I'm a bit of a ball. I get in and under and, you know, do all the dirty work and get the ball onto the outside so our runners can use it. But um, I also can kick the ball reasonably well, I think. So I just try and get the ball. And if I'm not in a position to distribute it, I'll give it to someone else who's in a better position. So the, the roles, yeah, get shared amongst everybody pretty evenly. Yeah, right. You must be the first footballer in history to say you don't like kicking a goal. <laughs> Did you have a... <laughs> Did you have a traumatic experience kicking a goal when you were a kid or something? <laughs> no, definitely not. I just don't like it. I don't like the limelight. So let other people deal with that. Yeah, it makes for a good in and under play then, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> in the what I was going to call the off-season, which is sort of everyone else's normal season, the normal footy season, you were, um, you're about to start up at UTS, is that right? Not only in your playing role but coaching as well. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, I kind of thought this off-season would be a good opportunity to work on my coaching. I've been coaching at um, a couple of private schools in Sydney, um, St. Cass and um, PLC, um, and I've been loving that. But coaching is one part of my game that I've kind of wanted to develop, um, you know, to try and hopefully make a career out of that one day and also help my on-field stuff. Um, so, I, yeah, kind of got word that the bats were kind of looking for you know, an assistant playing role, someone from the Giants. So I said, why not? It's a great opportunity to get a bit of coaching and play at a different club. Like, I'm still really new to Sydney. It's only my third year living there. Um, and, I mean, it's home now. So I've got to get to know people. And what better way through sport? The more the more people you can play with and against, the more friends you're going to make. So it's a great opportunity for personal development and um, for my coaching. I know Kelly Noel and I used to play with her and yeah. she she was absolutely wrapped at, uh, to get you on board. Uh, she did see you coach out at PLC and the way she said your rapport with the students was uh, fantastic. So she was wrapped that you've uh, taken the role there, just gutted that there's no comp and no, no, maybe a possibility there won't be a season at all. But uh, let's fingers crossed that you will get down there and uh, maybe drag another Giants player over there as well, get some quality players down there. Yeah, I hope so. That's the plan. Oh, good stuff. Now, to be only 20, 20, 19, 20? 20. 20, and to be already talking about coaching in the next role in life, <laughs> you know, you're allowed to just play footy. You know that, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's. I feel like we all kind of forget it, and I, especially like, you know, moving from a little country town and then to Adelaide and then from Adelaide to Sydney, it's been quite a few big changes um so you've had to I've personally had to mature quite quickly um and I always try I'm always ahead of myself before I've actually lived it so whilst I probably am a bit ambitious on where I want to go I think it's kind of cool to have a bit of a picture of where I want to see my sport because I mean sport it can't last and it can be one freak accident or you can go through and have a you know a uh, ten-year career, and you know, you just don't know what's around the corner. So you kind of got to be prepared for everything these days. So, take talking about um, leaving your hometown and moving to Sydney. Now, your debut was in Blacktown, in in the Greater 
western part of Sydney. Um, your folks drove, was it 17 hours to come and watch your debut? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so now your dad played a bit of footy. And I'm yeah, guessing yeah. as growing up he's probably taught you a couple of things in the backyard. Do you now go back and teach him a few more things? Uh, I wish. He can't move. He's had a hip replacement, so I can't oh. leave him too much these days. Is, <laughs> so, is that a footy injury? Um, he's an electrician, so he owns his own business and he spent most of his well, his whole working life in roofs so and climbing up and down ladders. So I guess over time it just, you know, finally gave way and gave up on him, so it was time to get oh. a new hip. And he yeah. presented your Guernsey to you in your debut match, right? So yeah. Is your number yeah. a number that he played with or you picked it from some other reason? Uh, no, it was a pretty random number, actually. My favourite number, Lou Stevenson wears it. So um, that one was out of the question. And I don't know, 32, Mike Rusciuto was my childhood hero. Um, so I guess it's quite fitting, really, when you think about it. But it was kind of just a random selection. But now it holds a lot of sentiment and value. Um, I went back doing my research and I watched the um, the 7.30 report, um, the, them following you around with the cameras and everything. And, um, yeah. Oh, good one. And and so I think, yeah, it was the folks were in that. But so are your grandparents. Uh, Rusty, your grandfather, is he still going strong? Because you love a grandfather who gets teared up, doesn't he, when he talks about oh, yeah. playing footy. Is he good? Yeah, no. He's going strong. I just went and saw him before this, actually, and um, he's down in, in the shed with um, a couple of his mates um, having a few beers and, Tops. you know, talking all things footy and all things that they do. So, yeah, he's going really well. So Nice Fantastic. one. So have you gone back to South Australia? You're back home at uh, Port Broughton, are you? Yeah, just for the time being, while everything's going on, um, I thought it was a great opportunity to go and get some quality family time in and, you know, I don't get home too often. I only got home for four days over the Christmas period. So to be able to come home and spend, it'll probably be eight to nine weeks here. Um, it's, yeah, it's been really good. It's, this is the first time we've all lived in the same house in, I think it's five or six years. So it's it's been a bit of a shock, but it's been good. So the old bedroom's just as you left it, is that right? Or did your brother move into it because it was bigger? No, just as I left it, it's become a storeroom, though. <laughs> Fair enough. And you're doing um study as well, is that right? Yeah, at UNS study, studying psychology. So um, just part-time study at the moment, which fills up enough time to kind of keep me busy between that and a bit of work and footy. So it's good. I, I enjoy it. And, yeah, I guess at the moment it's a really good thing to do with having so much free time on my hands, so keeps me busy. And was, did I hear that you're majoring in criminology? Yeah, correct. Any particular reason for that? Um, from South Australia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is the murder capital of Australia. Nice, Kiwi. <laughs> yeah, it explains enough, doesn't it? Nah, I, um, I would really want to join the police force um, and get into like criminal profiling and all that kind of thing. But, like, I love psychology and I guess majoring in criminology is quite fitting. Um, and, yeah, I guess it's kind of will help open my eyes into hopefully the path I want to go down with my career and all that kind of stuff. So, Doesn't psychology studies have those endless questions around stats? Um, we haven't done a stats topic yet, but I've got a 
quite a few friends that study it and they hate the statistics. Yeah. They're yeah, like, it's right? the biggest thing. Yeah, they've given me full warning and they're like, you're going to hate it, but you just got to do it. Do you know My what your own playing stats? My playing stats? I mean, there's not many to learn, but <laughs> <laughs> I know a few. I've kicked the goal. Hey. <laughs> Damn, what a shame. <laughs> um, actually, I, I did notice in your stats, Tate, that you have a pretty marvellous kicking efficiency. So I think it was almost 70% your, um, or disposal efficiency, I think. So um, that's, you know, that's remarkable, I think, that given that most uh, disposal efficiencies in the AFLW are a bit below that. Yeah, I didn't know that myself. That's um, pretty cool. Especially <laughs> midfielders sit around, midfielders are around about 60%. So, yeah, you're at 69 yeah. Yeah, um, that's what I mean. Kicking and you know probably my disposal efficiency is something I kind of pride myself on. I, in particular, my kicking. So um, I guess it's good statistically to have that to back it up and back up what I think and believe. So, um, how are you going with your fitness and your footy skills now? Like, what are you doing back home? Have you got a buddy that you go down the park with, or are you just doing your own things? Um, just doing my own thing. There's not too many people that live um, at home in my country town. So, like my brother's at school, um, my sister's at uni in Adelaide, and I mean, mum and dad work, and they can't do much anyway. So, I'm just running um, pretty well five to six days a week. Bit of boxing here and there, a few hit sessions, um, bit of ab work. Not focusing too much on my strength work at the moment. Some kind of just want to get my fitness up but I've been thinking about maybe training for a triathlon um and doing one of them just to give me a bit of an interest away from footy otherwise it becomes quite a repetitive um and draining process of just running for 12 months straight definitely keeping fit and keeping busy so July last year you ran your first half marathon so now you're thinking of extending that and doing triathlons, like a half Ironman or something? It's only 42 k's, not not 21 for the run? Yeah, <laughs> something like that. That's a good way to fill in isolation, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what else am I going to do apart from run, ride and swim? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But isn't it, do you have pools down there? It would be pretty cold, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, we've got a pool in our backyard. It's 11 metres long, so... <laughs> Might have to do a few laps, but <laughs> it will do. So when Tate, when we were um, interviewing Pepper Randall, she was um, having a bit of a dig at some of the some of her fellow players regarding their music choices, and she reckoned that the, it was the younger guns who had the worst taste in music. Do you have anything to say about that? Um, no, it's probably pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, personally, not me. I tend to love Pepper's music. And if you look at my Spotify, it's probably linked up with her playlist. But yeah, I probably with Pep on that one. A few of the other girls like Maggie Gorham have pretty shocking taste in music. I think she's played the same song every time and just on repeat all season. So she's got something to answer for in that one. Yeah, there's a point at which that becomes abuse, really. Yes, oh, definitely. <laughs> there was one time we were doing a bike session and we were listening to Ziggy Albert for like 50th time that day and I was like, Mags, this is too much. I'm, I need a real bike to get away from you. <laughs> <laughs> so you haven't thought of hacking into Maggie's Spotify list and just adding some other tunes to, you know, mix it up a little? 
Oh, definitely. It's very tempting. But she would know because she only listens to like two artists. So <laughs> I'd get caught. Hey, Tay, when you're in Sydney, when you're uh, when the footy AFW footy season is on, are you working as well? Are you doing paid work outside of outside of footy at the same time? Yeah. So um, I coach at St Catharines and PLC. Um, yep. So I do that six mornings a week um, between the two, which is good. Like for me at the moment, that's kind of enough. Um, but I just got a job at the Athletic Centre um, out in Sydney Olympic Park. And yeah. I'm yet to start there because I had my first shift cancelled because of the coronavirus. So um, they've still got me on the books for that. Hopefully when things start to settle down a little bit, I can um, pick up some more casual work there and continue to work with the footy programs at the schools that I was previously working at. And have you found that move to Sydney really difficult? You sort of touched on it before going from your where you are at the moment back home with the family to Adelaide and then to Sydney. I mean, big city, isn't it, compared with growing up as a country kid? Have you adjusted in Sydney or, you know, has it been pretty tricky? Um, initially it was a little bit difficult because I moved. I had my year 12 chemistry exam on a Wednesday afternoon and Thursday morning Dad and I got in the car at 6am and drove to Sydney. Oh. Um to start pre-season that Monday. So it was all pretty crazy the first couple of months of living there. I was fortunate enough that I moved into um, a bit of a host family situation, um, which was great. And it was like having my mum there um, and I'm still very close to the family. So, which is good, but Sydney's home now. I love it. And whenever my family come over, they're like, God, we could not live here and we don't know how you do it. But I think because I came straight from school and moved over, initially it was hard and there were times where I was like, why am I doing this? This is not where I want to be. I've just kind of tried to embrace it and now I love it. I can't see myself living anywhere else. Yeah, right. That's interesting. After that first year with the host family, did you then go into a share house with other players or did you have friends outside of football you lived with? Um, yeah, so I went down to Melbourne that winter um, and lived with um, one of Lou Stevenson's friends. And then when I moved back up, I moved in with um, Beck Beeson and Christina Bernardi. Um, we had a little share house and I've been living with Pippa Smythe um, and her boyfriend now for the last 12 months, So, which has been great. So um, in the in the fun that you have in Sydney... There's um, quite a classic picture on your Insta. I had a had a bit of a peek, and it's um, are you already giggling? You might know which one I'm talking about. It's um, taken when you She's guys worried, are at Luna Park. Oh yeah, that look. one, the <laughs> Luna Park one. Now for the listeners, and there's this great picture. There's four of them going down. Is it the water slide or something? I don't know what the ride's called. Slide one. The, oh, yeah, it's like a, in, sitting in one of those log things. But they're going down. The other three, laughing, cheering, screaming, as you do, take mackerel, just stone face sitting in the front of the car. <laughs> but the best bit about this non-smile, non-emotion piece is Tate's T-shirt says thrills. <laughs> so she's gone the absolute opposite of her T-shirt. Now, was that planned or you knew the camera was there or you just stone face when you go on the rides? No, so we knew the camera was there and we're like, oh, let's make this funny. So we'll buy a copy and, you know, we'll take it as a little souvenir, as a little, because it was one of our first um, kids club outings. Um, and 
I'm very good mates with Elise Parker and she's like, I always do funny photos. And so we'd been on a few rides and we'd pulled a few, a few funny faces. And then I was at the front and I'm like, I'm going to cop the brunt of this water that flows into everybody. And sure enough, I was satched. So I was like, I'm just going to pull the most serious face that I can. It turned out to be a beauty, didn't it? And uh, for the listeners, just um, do you want to say who the other kids club members are? Like I'm guessing Jess Allen is now a new recruit because you guys grew up and played a bit of footy together in Adelaide and now you're showing her the ropes of Sydney. Who else is in the kids club? Um, So there's Elise, Maggie, Gorham, Georgia Garnett, Erin McKinnon, Hanine Zarika, Jess Allen and myself. So there's seven of us. a little crew, which is great. We love it. It just so um, apart from Jess, little... it's all under five foot six, is it? Yeah. <laughs> no, under twenty yeah. years old. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Jess and Jess and Aaron are the highest. So Tate, um, just in terms of going back to the, the start of your AFLW career, was there a reason why you chose Giants and not Adelaide for the draft? Um. Well, my club coach at Adelaide Uni, Chrissy Steen, um, had been in touch with the Giants and said that there was a testing day. So she took oh, a couple of us under her wing and kind of we put it together a little package of videos and sent them on over and we got invited to one of the testing days. And um, Courtney Gum and I were at the same. We all went over together as a group and fortunate enough that um, Gum and I got drafted. But pretty well, Adelaide didn't want to take me, um, to put it quite bluntly and to not run away from it. They come out and said that they weren't going to take me in the draft and they don't know that they ever would. So I'll rather die. And then you beat them this year. (laughs) (laughs) And you saw what happened to Courtney Gum. They didn't take her in the first year and now they want her. So, you know, there's always time. They might might come knocking on your door. (laughs) Oh, mate, I'm... Probably uh, not get yeah. next time. <laughs> <laughs> Sydney's a nicer town. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you also, I think, when you beat them this season, you also picked up twenty possessions yourself and showed them. And I think the Norwich because of the rising star. <laughs> uh, oh, you got nomination that week too for that game, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Revenge is sweet, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. it was. Um, <laughs> it would have been good to play in front of family and friends, but. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, Not going to lie. Hard. Well done. Did, um, <laughs> at the end of the year, I know it was a very quick wrap-up and everything, and is there any um, talk about next season, about just walking straight back in there at GWS, or does that all get decided at a much later stage? Um, I think that probably gets decided. There's a little bit of talk um, around what's going to happen. I mean, there's definitely going to be a season, but I guess the priority is with the men at the moment. Um, and, I mean, the club's also got the netball girls to look after. So we're just, we just want clarity on are we going to play? And we've heard that yes. Um, and I think everyone probably knows um, and the AFL hasn't shied away from that. But how, how things look, nobody really knows at this stage. Um, all we know is we just treat off-season like every other off-season, keep fit and keep healthy and... We'll be back out there sooner rather than later, I hope. hope so too. Now, um, one last question, Tate. Um, very important one for our show. Have you ever given a coat hanger? You know what? I, I was a recipient of one. 
Oh, that, was so that, that is the second last question. Yes, <laughs> we didn't actually answer the first Which, question though. I did pick that. I did know. Quickly, about it. Um, yeah, I was kind of just running to get the ball and just got cleaned up, like full on um, across the chest, standard coat hanger. It was a good one. I got to admit that it's a bit embarrassing for me, but it was pretty good. <laughs> Who was never the given one though. Oh, it was yeah. one of them um, yeah, when yeah. I played back with the boys. Ah, yeah. It was the only way so, I could stop you. Pretty well. Good <laughs> <on> <laughs> <you>. <laughs> well, thank you very much for your time tonight, Tate. Um, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you and we look forward to uh, watching you next year with the Giants. And in the meantime, with UTS, if they get the uh, season, season going, well, we, well, let's expect that they will. Originally, they were the Shamrocks. You could always take Yvonne and Cora over and, um, you know, have a good crack and they'll <laughs> they'll definitely do a bit of off-season drinking. Is yeah, that what the bats are good with? <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. So it's, um, at the moment, quite appealing, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> right. All right. Thank you very much, Tate. Cheerio. Cheers. Thank good you. on you, Thank Tate. You very much. Appreciate Tate. it. Yeah. Cheers. Tune in to the code. No, I'm not even bothering with that now. I wasn't ready. I went, <clears throat> I wasn't ready. <laughs> I didn't know you were recording now. <clears throat> Sorry. You want to clean this room. Is there anyone else in a moment? Anyone else in a moment? I thought, how am I going to recreate that kind of goal? <laughs> You're going so well. I need to recapture the glory now, Fee. <laughs> I need more snaps. Can I go to the bar? Tune in to, to the, the Code Hanger. hanger.